Welcome back to your Daily Dose. It's me, Nick. Who's your favorite team? Do you have one? I've had a few, and I've stuck with them through the thrill of victories and the agonies of defeat. Mostly the agonies. One of my teams doesn't exist anymore, but every once in a while I'll take a trip down memory lane to replay some of my favorite highlights. Enjoy. I get really tickled um, when I get to go on these little rabbit trails of just something that I remember from when I was younger. And this happened recently. There was an article on one of the sports websites that I go to. It said, uh, Grissom signs with XYZ team. Mm. Uh, I was in a baseball team. And I was like, Grissom, I wonder if that's the son of this player that I really used to like that played for Montreal. Yeah. The Montreal Expos, Marquise Grissom. Marquise. So it wasn't. But then it got me going down this whole like memory lane of all these players in the early 90s for the Montreal Expos that I loved. Yeah. And I read about him specifically and I could talk about all these guys, especially like Curtis Pride was one of the, he didn't play with them long, but he had this really memorable game and he is, uh, he was the first player I think since 1945 who was completely deaf. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so he played for Montreal for a little bit uh, and he had this one incredible game where he really got them out of a jam. They were playing him really shallow. He ended up hitting a double and the crowd was going nuts because they were in the pennant race this year. I think it was 92. And one of the coaches had to come out to tell him to tip his cap to uh, the audience. Couldn't because hear he couldn't the audience. Know. He didn't know. Like he probably yeah. felt something, but he didn't yeah. know that was happening. But Marquise Grissom... Uh, one of 15 kids born in the Jordan, born in Georgia, I think in the Atlanta area. And it was just talk. I was just on his Wikipedia page. I was talking about him. Like he ended up, you know, after leaving Montreal, cause they had this, the, the team got treated very poorly, um, by, by, the owners the, by the owners and by the, uh, the major league oh. baseball in general. Um, but anyway, so over the course of his career, you know, he won the World Series. He played great oh. on a bunch of teams and, and all of that. But then it all was also like, yeah, you know, and then he started a foundation for young baseball players in the Georgia area. Uh, but then over the course of his career, he bought houses for his parents and every single one of his siblings. Wow. So it was like, and this wasn't when necessarily baseball players were making 10, 20, 30 million dollars right. a year. This was early 90s to early 2000s. So he had to make the investment. I mean, yeah. Like, that's yeah. A, see, I always do something I, like that. I always thought about that if I won the lottery, how would I spread that out? Yeah. But, but he earned that money and took care of his family. And this is all stuff that you didn't know when you were actively following him as a kid. So, and and then I was thinking about the reason I got into, because I was, didn't grow up watching baseball. This was when I was uh, like 18. Oh, okay. Um, all right, all right. And I was at the University of Florida. Still a kid. Still a kid, but definitely not yeah, like yeah. a sport that I was into from or played in any significant way. I was at the University of Florida. I was away from home for the first time. I was living in a dorm and my roommate, was really into the Red Sox. Yeah. And that was when they still stunk. <laughs> so I was like, well, let me bond with him. Like, I'll get into baseball too, but who would my team be? Because the Florida Marlins, I think it just started. And it was like, well, I was born in Montreal. Let me do the Expos thing. And it was this perfect timing of the Expos starting to be good. 
And they were well on their way to the World Series in 1994 when the strike happened. Perfect time. And then they got derailed. They traded all their best players. Eventually the team got sold. It got gutted. They were... They treated it like crap, and eventually it became the Washington Nationals. I forgot about the strike. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it really, really just... Wait, so the Washington Nationals were the Expos? Yeah. I did not know that. Yep. Wow. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know a lot about baseball. I think you know that, though. Oh, yeah. No, but I like I don't keep up with it. I don't really care. But yeah. all these guys meant so much to me because I was watching it at the time. Yeah. I was rooting for them. I was rooting for the team, but I was also rooting for them. And just that connection I had... To Moises Lou, Larry Walker, Pedro Martinez, all of Dennis Martinez, uh, Delano De Shields, all these guys. Mm-hmm. It's just so weird to look back at that and go, okay, I was, I don't know if I was a different person, but I was definitely had a different connection to sports specifically and that in particular. Do you want to go back to that? Do you want to be that now? I mean, you could, obviously. I, the sports have changed so much, like the landscape even of college. Yeah. You know, not to say that it's you can't have loyalty to your team or whatever, um, because I still love the Buffalo Bills. I'm still watching all yeah. those games because of, again, not because I grew up as a Buffalo Bills fan, but because of connections I made with people Yeah, first. And they got me into it. They were my sort of gateway drug. I like that into, path the NFL. into sports. That's yeah. I think if, if I'm going to end up in sports world. That's probably going to be the path I'll take. But I wonder if it's if it's a little bit harder to be a sports fan now because of all the stuff that goes along with it. Whereas before it was just like, it is you have a team, the team is always there, and you know, yeah. I, I don't know. It's more there's feels like there was more permanence in it before. Yeah, I feel like I don't know. I feel like players used to care more or have more of a. A team identity. I don't know. I'm not into it, so I can't really say. See, but. it's so hard to. It's because we've been. I don't want to say programmed, but we've been inundated with these messages that oh, you have to be loyal to your team. Yeah, you are lucky to get that money. You are lucky to be paid as. But I, I would. How much would I love that? I would stay with the Orlando Magic forever. Right. Shaquille O'Neal, because <laughs> I got to play and I got to win and I blah blah blah. Yes. And it's like. No, because the worker should have rights. Right. The worker should be able to do. Now, do I agree with everything that happens? No. No. Right. You know, um, but at the same time, I, I think it is a fairer system in many ways. Yeah. yeah. I think so. Right. so <laughs> Sorry, let me go off on my little socialist. No, rant. I like it. I like <laughs> it. It wasn't so socialist. It's, it doesn't have to have that. The time. workers have rights. Is they very, do. Considered very socialist by a lot of Republicans. The humans have rights. How about that? Because the workers are humans. And yeah, so viva la proletariat. Hey friends, it's Bob. Nick's enthusiasm for sports is contagious. That's a pretty impressive statement coming from a non-sports enthusiast like me. I think it's because Nick puts a human face on the sports stories that he tells. And his connection to sports fandom is based on a desire to share experiences with other people. So he goes and experiences what it's like to be a real fan, not just of a specific team, but specific players. And then he shares those experiences with the rest of us in your daily dose. Lucky us, and we never had to enter a stadium. That does it for this episode of The Dose. Thanks for listening.